Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. I've lived in the neighborhood for 30 years. I have probably only been aware for less than five years that the site on Pico and Doheny is uh, an oil field. I just thought like, oh, it's just that nice wall that you drive by on Pico Boulevard. I have no idea what it is. So I, I am uh, personally coming late to the party here, and um, I'm looking forward to our panelists tonight, you know, giving us more information, history, illumination on what's going on right around the corner, even literally for some of us. Um, so tonight's panelists are um, our very, very own TBA member, Terry Cohan Link, uh, who's on the board of an organization called NASE, N-A-S-E. Neighborhoods for a Safe Environment. Uh, Rabbi Yona Bookstein, also affiliated with that group, and um, uh, Professor Michael Salman. Um, Professor, uh, Professor Salman is an emeritus professor of history at UCLA. His uh, work was in history of the United States and the Philippines, but for the last five to ten years, he's been focusing more actually on the history of the, go- uh, the oil and gas industry and the regulation of it um, locally. This reg- regulatory, uh, people have explained the regulations to me multiple times. I've read multiple articles. It's really complicated for me to follow. Um, and I know our speakers are going to help us out with that tonight and talk about the oil well that is right under our noses. Um, and sometimes the, the oil fumes that are right in our noses. So um, uh, if you have questions, so Regular Zoom protocol, please keep yourself muted most of the time. Uh, you can put things into the chat if you want. Uh, I will monitor Q&A. I will try not to stop our panelists when they first present, but there will be ample time um, for Q&A after then their presentation. Our maximum time to go is 8.30. I sort of aim at 8.15, but we can linger a little longer if we like. So, um Without further ado, Professor Salman and Rabbi Bookstein and uh, Terry Cohan-Link, please take it away. Today, we are going to talk about the West Pico drill site in your neighborhood. I uh, actually live in the West Adam section of the city, uh, 2,000 feet away from the 4th Avenue drill site that my neighbors and I got closed in 2017-2018 and 2,500 feet away from the Murphy drill site, where my neighbors and I prevented the installation of a gas-burning flare in 2016 after a three-year fight. So uh, I'm going to speak first, and then Rabbi Bookstein will speak for a few minutes, and then Terry Cohen and Link, and then it will come back to me. I'm going to give you an initial introduction now, and I'll signal to you some of the things that I'll talk about when we get to the end. So the West Pico drill site is on the screen um, in front of you right now. It's on two city blocks on Pico Boulevard and uh, stretching. Here's Pico Boulevard. Let's see. Oh, there's my nice pointer. It stretches from Doheny on the east side to Cardiff on the west. And um, the street addresses are 9101 West Pico and 9151 West Pico. 
this is a, a drill site that has 57 open oil wells. And the heads of the wells are all here on this block. There are 57 open oil wells, plus two wells that were plugged in 1978. So a total of 59 wells have been drilled on this location. All of the wellheads are here on this block, and they're modern directionally drilled wells, which means they go down a couple of thousand feet and then move out in all different directions, north, south, east, east and west. And the wells are generally eight to 10,000 feet deep at their bottom. The second block over here contains processing equipment that handles the mixture of oil, brine water, and natural gas that gets pumped up from the wells over here. The drill site was opened in 1965, and the original owner was Occidental Petroleum, which I'm guessing many of you have heard of. They, for a long time, had a headquarters building in Westwood at Wilshire Boulevard and uh, near, near Westwood. Um, it changed hands in 1994, and then in 2012, it was spun off into the ownership of a new company called Pacific Coast Energy Company. PCEC is the company that owns and operates the drill site now. But in 2019, PCEC was acquired by new owners and new management. So it's the same company name, but since 2019, some new management. And that's something I'll touch on when I come back at the end of the program. So today we're going to tell you about a long and continuing record of safety and compliance violations at the site. Most recently marked by an oil spill that reached the surface on December 11th, 2021, just last month. And um, that oil spill actually reached the surface on December 11th, but it was probably going on for some time. I'll explain that later. So this next slide, you can see it's from the California Department of Conservation and from their Geologic Energy Management Division. It's called CalGEM. For short. And this is a photographic image. It's another satellite photo. This is from their report on the oil spill that happened last month. And this area here is where they say the oil spilled into the alleyway behind this half of the drill site. Actually, we know from Rabbi Buchstein and community members who took photographs and video that the fluid that spilled ended up really kind of stretching from one end of the alley to the other. So that's the most recent compliance and safety violation, but it's the most recent in a very long and deep history. We're also going to explain an ongoing city zoning administrator, and I'm gonna abbreviate zoning administrator in the future as ZA, a zoning administrator review process that should be remedying problems at the site, but it's gone very badly off the rails. As a result, NAES has filed a sequence of appeals 
of the ZA process, especially a current appeal that's still pending in city council about the zoning administrator, the ZA's refusal to include an environmental review in this process. We're gonna tell you about that, how that process, if it works properly, can work to remedy problems, and at the very end, how you can help. So the appeal has been brought by Neighbors for a Safe Environment, NAES, a local environmental group formed by your neighbors, people who live very close to the drill site. And they formed the group in 2000 because of problems at the drill site and a zoning administrator review that was taking place in 2000. NAES in 2000 went through an appeal process kind of similar to the one we've been going through now, and then ended up going to court over the review. And in June 2001, arrived at a settlement agreement with the city and the operating oil company. The settlement agreement had many features to it, but the one that is most important today is that the 2001 settlement agreement said that every five years, starting in 2010, 2011, the zoning administrator was supposed to hold a public review of the drill site, but that never happened. Those five-year reviews were never held. In 2016, 2017, local community members, as it happened in the past, began again to experience problems with petroleum motors and started to complain about it. And in October of 2019, when I heard about this, I knew about the settlement agreement and I went back and I looked at it and I looked up who the parties to it were and I tracked them down and I connected with the original, some of the original leadership of Mays. And they wrote to the city and said, remember us, we're parties to the settlement agreement with you, and you promised in the settlement agreement you'd hold these five-year reviews and you never held them, and there were problems at the drill site, you have to honor the settlement agreement. And that started the process in motion. On November 17, 2019, there was an LA Times article about the city's failure to hold these reviews. And two days later, on November 19th, the chief zoning administrator issued an order calling for the opening of a review. Once the review was open, we went to work researching deeply the past two decades of operations at the site. And we found a long list of state and city safety violations violations of state law and city code and ZA conditions of use. And we ultimately found, in addition, that 25 major projects had been executed since 2000 without zoning administrator reviews and approvals, which are required by city code. Those 25 major projects included 24 major oil well projects performed on 22 different wells. Two new wells were drilled. 12 existing wells were redrilled. And 10 wells were converted between producers and injectors. 
The 25th project was the installation of one megawatt of microturbine electric generators that were expressly prohibited by zoning administrator conditions of use. So one of the things to bear in mind is that applications to the zoning administrator for a re review and approval of those projects, if they had been submitted, would have triggered implementation of the California Environmental Quality Act, known as CEQA, which requires environmental clearance of proposed projects to determine whether they might have significant effects on the environment and might require modification, mitigation measures, or possibly rejection by the deciding authority. By evading application to the zoning administrator, the operator of the drill site was also evading CEQA, which is state law that the city is obligated to implement. So the zoning administrator didn't hold the required five-year reviews. And on top of that, the city of Los Angeles Although it says in its city code and in its zoning administrators conditional use approvals for all oil drill sites in the city, that there must be strict controls and strict compliance with all regulations, the city of Los Angeles does no general compliance inspections at all of oil drill sites. And on April 20th, 2021, the Los Angeles Times had a front page article about this. Had those reviews been done or had the city done inspections, the city would have caught that there were these unapproved unauthorized projects. Instead, for 20 years, they just accumulated. So I'm going to pause now and I'm gonna turn the floor over to Rabbi Bookstein, who will tell you about his experience in this matter. And then you'll hear from Terry Cohen Link, who you know is a member of your temple. And then it will come back to me and I'll return to tell you what happened in the zoning administrator review and what we're doing about it. So I'm going to exit screen sharing, I think. Stop, there we go. And uh, Rabbi, it's all yours. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much, first of all, to everybody this evening for your time and uh, Professor Salman is a incredible uh, and devoted Los Angelino who constantly uh, I am learning from and uh, is a, a mentor to me. And uh, thank you, Professor. And uh, thank you, Avi, for, and everybody for organizing this event tonight. Uh, I'm just going to tell you how I got into this. Um, we've been living in Pico Robertson since 2009. And uh, my when we moved here, we had been in Long Beach for five years. My wife was a Hillel director and I was a Hillel rabbi there. Uh, we did not move to L.A. to get involved in uh, 
making the city safer from neighborhood oil drilling. That really was not on the agenda. Uh, it was to work with young professionals, uh, people who were unaffiliated, didn't really have a spiritual home. And that's what we've been doing. And uh, in uh, about five years ago, we moved our center, which is called Picoshul, from a uh, building down the block to a storefront that used to house the famous Gordon's Fish Market of Blessed Memory. Some of you might remember that famous fish market. Well, we got the fish smell out of the fish market. But what we had not anticipated was it was replaced by a recurring odor problem, but not gefilte fish. This odor problem was petroleum. And it was coming from none other than our neighbor to the north, a two-block oil facility. In retrospect, we probably were better off with Gordon's fish smell. But we were not savvy to what we were getting into. And then I began to look into the matter. And I found out what I could from online searches. And I connected with uh, some folks who were concerned about this. And I ended up getting to Nays, Nays and to Professor Salman. Uh, but before I'd connected with them, I did what most citizens would do is I called my city councilman. I said, there are days where we have to leave our facility because of smells. And my office, our Picochul offices sit on top of Gordon's. We rent out office space up here too. And up there, I had to leave a couple times because of excessive oil smells. So our councilman, uh, Paul Koritz, uh, and I, and I, I, I got him to agree to come to a meeting at our shul. And I also got, um, the city petroleum administrator, uh, Udwak, uh, to come. Now I knew Udwak cause I'd met him at APAC a few years prior. And he's also a Long Beach guy with his kids at, although he's not Jewish, he sends his kids to the JCC at the Long Beach uh, JCC, at the Alpert JCC. Anyway, we had them for separate meetings with members of our shul where they could express their concern and ask questions. From those meetings, I really thought that the city and the city council men and his office were really on our side and they were really going to ensure that everything could be done to uh, make our community safe from odors and any negative effects of oil drilling. I was sorely mistaken because the more we looked into it and the more we got involved, I realized that the reason we are in such a, a a poor situation is specifically because of 
the city's uh, willingness to overlook all common sense when it comes to regulation of the oil in L.A. You know, a billboard, a common L.A. billboard has more, more oversight than the 50-some oil wells in our neighborhood. Uh, if you own a rental uh, a property in L.A., chances are it is under more scrutiny by the city uh, than the 57 oil wells in our neighborhood. And while, you know, uh, Mr. Koretz, who, uh, Councilman Koretz, who uh, uh, has gone to bat for our community on important issues like anti-Semitism and so forth, we unfortunately could not get him to go to bat for us on this matter. And we tried very hard. Uh, I used all my rabbinical training to try to engage him uh, to become an advocate for our community, to stand with us uh, for a very simple ask. And, and this ask, I formed this idea through the wisdom of people who know a lot more than me. Very simple ask. We want annual inspections of the oil well. And we want air monitoring, not just once every 20 years, but 24-7 air monitoring. So God forbid, if anything should happen, the authorities, the fire department, and emergency services can be notified right away. We have not been able to get the city councilman or the city council or anybody in the city level to back a very simple thing. We, and that's what our, that's, you know, we're not, I, I'm not an extremist. I, I wish I could drive electric cars. They're a little bit out of my budget. Uh, uh, we're just asking for common sense. Uh, now, unfortunately, the impact was real. There were people in my community who stopped coming to Picoshul because of the oil smells. And when I would call, there was really nobody to call. I would try calling AQMD, but they would come out and they'd say, well, if it's you're smelling it inside your facility, it doesn't fall under our uh, uh, purview. And by the time they would come out, the, the smell was gone. What I later learned through the help of Professor Salman was that most of the time we were smelling oil was probably due to the numerous oil spills that have happened and the sloppiness of the oil operators where they've left oil exposed. Now, we had a big spill recently. Well, big, that's my term, not a scientific term. Uh, but even if they're doing regular work and they leave oil exposed, it is wafting into all of the synagogues, stores, houses that are in the near vicinity. And I, you know, I want to end with this, and I, I could really speak about this for a much longer time, and I'm very passionate about it. When COVID hit, uh, we stopped using our sanctuary, like all other synagogues, uh, like many other synagogues, right? And we've done a lot of our programming online, but I still have my office, and I try to work out of my office as much as possible. 
And I will say that since our activism uh, began a couple of years ago on this matter, I do notice fewer opportunities to complain about odors. However, you know, just because they're not making, you know, obvious mistakes on a regular basis doesn't mean we don't have a very serious problem in our midst, which came to roost just a few weeks ago uh, when I was notified by somebody on next door that there was oil seeping up into the alley just a block from our office. Now, this is not Beverly Hill hillbillies, you know, where they see the oil bubbling up and everybody's so happy, you know, about the oil. This is in the middle of a neighborhood. What is oil doing bubbling up next to houses? This is totally unacceptable, completely unacceptable. So I, I thank you for your time. I thank you for your concern about this matter. And really and truly, it's something that all of us here can really, really have an impact on making a difference in our community. By a little bit of, of our effort, we hope, please God, will have a big impact to make things safer and healthier for our community. Thank you so much. Terry. Good evening. Avi, thank you. Um, Michael, um, Rabbi Yona, um, thank you for um, joining me um, this evening um, and having this opportunity along with you to speak. I also just want to acknowledge that Ray Drazen, who's one of the early founding members of NAES, um, is amongst us this evening. So I have mentioned to her that as I speak a little bit um, from my perspective, um, if there's something that she wants to add with regard to Nays, I hope that, she, that Ray, you'll feel comfortable to do so. I know many of you on, um, on, on the screen tonight. Um, we've gone to Shoal together for a long time, but um, some of you may not know me, so I'll just say that I'm a um, longtime member of Temple Beth Am. We joined um, when my son was a baby, and we've been members ever since. And in my professional life, for most of my career, I've worked in um, environmentally related pursuits from environmental technology to waste to energy to solid waste and so I've had my finger in that pie. I'll, I'll say, though, that with the work that I have done over my career in the part of it that I've been in Los Angeles, um, um, inter, intersecting with the city of Los Angeles, the experience of going through um, the last year and a half, no, actually more than that, two and a half plus years, um, even more, um, interacting with the city um, and seeing how non-compliant and uninterested the city has been across uh, agencies and cross council districts with regard to um, these issues has shocked me, and I don't 
see myself as a particularly naive individual at this point in my career. I became involved with NAIS um, just a couple of years ago, um, having earlier um, uh, been engaged with an, uh, another oil issue at the Rancho Park site. Um, and through that issue, um, at that point, it was my responsibility as a member of the Beverly Wood HOA Board of Directors to liaise. It was one of my responsibilities to liaise with the community groups that were dealing with environmental issues. Um, and I became involved with that um, problem. And through that, I met Professor Solomon and eventually was introduced to um, the NACE group and, and later uh, Rabbi Yona as well. So I'm just giving this to you as an example of how a, you know, average community member um, um, gets involved with something like this. This is our health and safety. And, and what's very apparent to me is that it is not just our local issue, but as we become engaged with the city and the various city agencies, this is a regional issue, particularly broadly in the city, but it's an issue that impacts the health and safety of all of us on many, many levels. And so I encourage everyone attending tonight to, to join and help us um, push forward. Um, in, in a little while, Professor Salman, I think will either put on, on the screen or tell, you know, explain how you can send letters to the city at this point as part of um, a process that we're going through. There are other actions that you can take. We need each of you to reach out, beyond which each of you has an amazing network of resources which can help us inform our neighbors other people in the city and beyond agencies in the city, state agencies, county agencies that can help move us to a healthier, safer environment. So that's it for me right now. I'm happy later to um, address questions if there are any that I can answer. Michael, okay. turning it back to you. Ray, do you want to say hello first to add anything to Terry? That would be great. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Ray Drazen. Um, I was involved at the very beginnings um, of this project. It was around 2000, maybe a little bit before that. Um, and we were concerned with um, smells, but mostly I was concerned more with the um, environment and um, the air quality. Uh, I'm a scientist. I um, have a PhD in microbiology and I've always been interested in environmental things. Um, and it was very clear that if you're smelling something in that area, there's a good chance that there are um, volatile substances that are being released that are dangerous to 
the people around there. And um, so we became, uh, I and a group of people um, got together and we um, started NACE, Neighbors for a Safe Environment. Um, during the early years, we had the children um, at Hillel uh, Hebrew Academy on the streets and with pick with, uh, you know, placards and um, uh, tr- we had people um, um, from television stations covering it. And um, there were very interesting instances, instances that happened around that time. And I was sharing that with Terry today. Um, the company that, uh, that owned that site at that time was a Brightburn energy. And um, they were, not at all receptive to working with the neighbors and to try to make it a safer place. Um, they even went to the extreme of buying almost all the properties on Oakhurst between Pico and the, and I guess it's Whitworth and um, installed their uh, workers in those um, residences so that um, there wouldn't be um complaints from the um, the neighbors in that area. Uh, in fact, one of the people who was involved in NACE at the very beginning lived right on the corner of um, Oakhurst and that alley where right, where the, um, the oil facility is. And she was the one that basically started alerting everybody that there's something going on there that should not be, and we need to protect the neighborhood. And she consequently moved away. And during that time, the oil company brought, bought all those properties, instilled their employees there, and basically um, ensured that there would be no more complaints. So it was it was a pretty grim situation at that time. Um, getting that settlement in 2001 was an amazing thing. It was also very odd because what the judge was most upset about, not so much the air quality, he was upset about the noise, that uh, that this facility was working day and night, and that people in the neighborhood shouldn't have to be um, disturbed. Um, but, you know, as, as you'll hear um, later on, um, the settlement really started things going, and we, um, as our initial group, kind of, I guess we have to say, sort of dropped the ball, because we thought things were going to be handled after that we all sort of went on our own ways and and then thanks to um to michael solomon the whole thing started getting back together again and we're working for a situation that has been a disaster for this community for now 20 years so um i'm glad to see that this is now in the forefront again and that we're hopefully going to be able to get it resolved so that this neighborhood is going to be safe. Thanks. So let me, Michael, I just want to jump in for a second. Um, if it's okay with you and if you want me to wait till later, that's all right. Also, I, I have a few quest, very basic questions for clarification, uh, which I want to address, which I'm wondering if you'd be willing to take before you talk about the specifics of the, the the appeals process and the back and forth where things are at right now with this drilling site and and the oil spill. So if it's about the spill or the review process, no, I'll get to that. If no. it's something else, go ahead. More basic, some basic questions. Okay, go ahead. Number one, um, I don't mean this is a dumb question, 
why is there a smell? By which I mean, is that an indication that there is some poor process going on? Or is it inevitable that if your office is within 100 feet of an oil field, sometimes there will be a a smell, which might mean that oil fields should not be in residential neighborhoods at all. So question one about that. Okay, so the answer is, it's both. Um, So uh, if there is an odor, it means that something has gone wrong at the facility. Thank you. It's supposed to be a completely closed loop system with virtually no emissions. So if there are emissions, it means that a seal or a tank cover has gone bad or something has sprung a leak or during maintenance when you have to open things up necessarily when there are unavoidably going to be some odors, things get spilled and not cleaned up. So that helps to explain that during maintenance, you do have to open things up. So there are times where if there is an oil drill site with oil wells, it's unavoidable that on some occasions there are going to be odors. But if it becomes not just a rare occasion when they're doing work, but it happens more often to the point of maybe even being chronic while they're just pumping oil and not doing maintenance on on, on anything, that's a sign that there's a problem with equipment or maintenance or abiding by regulations. The city regulations and the regulations of the South Coast Air Quality Management District, which is a state agency that just has a regional um, territory, are, at least on paper, pretty strict about how everything is supposed to be sealed. There aren't supposed to be any odors or or, or, or fumes. Um, so uh, that's the answer to your I think that's the answer to your question. Great. Thank you. Okay, another question. Um, So you've said that your impression is that there's been very poor city scrutiny of this oil well. Do you, this oil field, um, is it your impression that this oil field is different or that the city in general doesn't... Equal opportunity and negligence. Okay, um, but, the, but the West Pico case is in some ways an extreme example okay. because of the very large number of unapproved major projects. And the West Pico case is a very peculiar example in another way. Um, because of the project that was conducted in 2000 and because of the settlement agreement, the West Pico drill site has often been pointed to by various people in and outside of city government as being the most protected drill site in the city. And on paper, maybe it is, but in reality, it's not because the city is doing no compliance and general compliance inspections and didn't hold the required reviews. 
You can have all the laws in the world that you want, but if you have no monitoring and enforcement, those laws are not worth the paper that they're printed on. So um, in some ways, the West Pico drill site is an extreme example in, in certain ways, but the, it's symptomatic of a systemic problem in the city. So as I told you, I live in West Adams, and it's because of the Murphy drill site on Adams Boulevard between Arlington and Western that I first became really involved in this issue in January 2014. And um, West Adams is uh, changing in ridiculous ways now, but I moved here because it's a multiracial, multi, multi-ethnic, multi-class neighborhood. And, and no offense to you all, but it's my favorite place to live in the city. I've been here since 1990. I, 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 I love it. And um, there's no additional negligence here. You know, the city is, you know, uh, the city has some, some problems of ethnic, racial, and social disparity and how it handles many things. But when it comes to negligence at oil drill sites, you got to give it, you know, give it its props. The sequel is city is an equal, equal opportunity neglector. Okay, so I have one more basic question as a follow-up to that. Um, is there an obvious or less obvious reason for that? By which I mean, if there's more regulation and scrutiny of billboards or housing changes than of oil well drilling, is that because the city doesn't Can have... Can we come more? back to that after I talk yes. about everything else? Because yes. a lot of the things I'm going to talk about... Yes. will provide more of a context for, for discussing, discussing that. Thanks. So let me go back to where I left off. Um, in November of 2019, NAES forced the city to finally call a zoning administrator review of the drill site. And one little bit of information that I should have given you before is that in the city of Los Angeles, the bulk of the regulatory code and regulatory authority over the oil industry is in the zoning code. And implement the zoning code is implemented mainly by the zoning administrator in the Department of City Planning. So in November of 2019, Nays said, remember us, we're parties to the settlement agreement, and so are you, so is City Council, you have to do these reviews. And uh, that review was called, and what I'm going to do now is tell you how it went off the rails and a little bit about why, and then I'm going to tell you about what happened in the recent oil spill last month, and then I'm going to talk about what you can do and what we are all trying to do to better this situation. So, in the months after November of 2019, when the zoning administrator first sent, the chief zoning administrator sent her letter, public letter to the oil company operating the site, telling them there's going to be a review. 
Nays and the Pico Robertson Health and Safety Coalition that the rabbi started and the Soro Neighborhood Council and numerous community members started to write to the zoning administrator and to Mr. Koretz and to the city petroleum administrator and others asking for, among other things, that the city should do a one-time comprehensive compliance inspection of the drill site before the zoning administrator starts the review. And there was a precedent for this. The one and only time that an oil drill site was ever inspected for general compliance was in the spring of 2017, and it was the Rancho Park drill site. And I made that happen. And the uh, petroleum administrator at that time, Odawak Entuk, who is now the supervisor of CalGen, the state regulatory agency, did a really thorough inspection. And so the, our logic was before the zoning administrator, who's not a specialist in the area, starts putting together a case file, he really ought to have an inspection report from a professional who knows about the operation of oil wells and oil drill sites. By this time, Odawak Entok had left the city to go and work for the state agency. But we asked the zoning administrator, we asked the interim acting petroleum administrator, we asked Mr. Koritz, and they all said no, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't ask the petroleum administrator to go and do the special inspection. Nevertheless, in the early spring of 2020, when the oil company started to deliver the documents that were needed for the zoning administrator to start the case, at first, there's a lot of evidence that the zoning administrator was kind of wanting to do it properly. The zoning administrator at first wanted to do an environmental review. In fact, I know that the zoning administrator who handled the case at first was adamant that there had to be an environmental review. And they also wanted to get documents from the oil company that were missing in the original application file. And there were a lot of documents. There's, there's all kinds of things that have to be documented and reports that were supposed to be part of this file for the zoning administrator to review. But what happened was council member Koritz told the zoning administrator, I don't want you to give the oil company any more time to get these documents. I just want you to do the review. So it's like the IRS saying, I don't want you to submit your tax return. I just want to decide what your refund is going to be. It's like, how you, know, you need the documents to do the review. And then... Mr. Koritz said, I don't want you to do an environmental review either. I want you to bring this case. And remember, this is spring of 2020, so the pandemic had just taken off. I want you to bring this case to public hearing as soon as possible and conclude it as soon as possible with no changes to the conditions of use assigned to the site. He also a couple of times said, and then I, I want you to shut it down. But it's like, all right, it's like the district attorney saying, 
I want this person executed for murder, but I don't want the police to do an investigation. It's like, well, what are you going to go to trial with? Right? How do you make the case? So in mid-May, the zoning administrator did what council member Chorus was telling the planning department to do. And they stopped asking for additional documents and they decided there was going to be no environmental review. And that's when things went off the rails and off the deep end. So I'm going to share a screen now. Take me one second. And what I am showing you now is the first page of the ruling. It's called a determination letter that the zoning administrator issued a year later on June 2nd, 2021. And in a moment, I'm going to show you two blowups of it that focus in on the parts I want you to see. As the case progressed in this fast track whitewash way, without the necessary documents and without the environmental review that's really required by the state CEQA law, the associate zoning administrator who was handling the case was kind of put, put himself, allowed himself to be put in the very awful position of having to defend and explain what he was doing, which he obviously knew was wrong because before the middle half of May, he was adamant that there should be an environmental review. And now he was like, well, now all the reasons why we're not doing it and it's not called for. It's, I think everybody on here is old enough to remember Watergate. Well, there's a phrase, there's a couple of phrases associated with Watergate. One is Richard Nixon saying, well, if the president does it, it's not illegal. But the other famous phrase is, the cover-up is worse than the crime. The order not to collect the documents and not to do an environmental review forced the zoning administrator into saying ever more absurd and self-contradictory and ridiculous things to explain what he was doing. And it culminated in his decision issued on June 2nd, 2021. So I'm going to go to the next screen, which is going to, oops, 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 sorry, 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 hit the wrong button. I am going to the next screen, which is going to, there we go. I wanted to, it's going to highlight this part here. So, all zoning administrator rulings are like this. Here's the name of the vice president of the oil company. There's the case number, the address, what zone it's in, the council district it's in. And then over here is where they enter what the environmental clearance is. CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act. And then there's a case number. And after the case number, there's this suffix. And the suffix tells you whether it's a categorical exemption, a negative declaration, meaning they looked into it and they don't think there's any effect, significant effect on the environment, a mitigated negative declaration, which means that they found possible significant effects on the environment, but they're going to be substantially reduced by mitigation measures, 
or last an EIR, a full environmental impact report. As you can see here, the suffix is CE, categorical exemption. And so the very first line is, this is pretty standard in just about all modern zoning administrator rulings, pursuant to the California Environmental Quality Act, which is state law, I hereby determine that the project is exempt from CEQA, meaning no environmental review. Now, the bottom of the page, there's another passage that was highlighted, and here it is blown up real big for you to see. This is the beginning. This is the operative part of the ZA's own ruling on the whole case. I hereby determine, based upon the whole of the administrative record, that the conditions of approval of determination from the 2000 case have been and are being substantially complied with though necessary inspections of the facility by government agencies will continue to ensure continued compliance. So there's two things about this that you need to know. One of them you already know, but I'm going to point it out to you. This is kind of ironic, though necessary inspections will continue. The city doesn't do any general compliance inspections. Something can't continue if it doesn't exist in the first place. But the first part of this sentence is actually even worse because on page 24 of the zoning administrator's determination, there's this section here, the staff review of compliance with conditions. And what that's telling you is that staff members from the zoning administrator's office looked at the documents that they had in the file and listened to the testimony and they wrote up what they found. So now I'm going to blow that up. And so after listening to the public testimony and a thorough review of the military material, it was concluded that the operator failed to comply with the condition of the settlement agreement. The five-year reviews didn't happen. And then this is a gross um, undercount didn't comply with two conditions of the zoning administrator's grant. That's the zoning administrator's ruling from 2000. But this part here that's kind of in orange, this is the kicker. It was also concluded that the operator completed numerous projects on the drill site, which were not authorized as part of the modernization of the drill site or the municipal code. The modernization of drill site, of the drill site, that's a reference to the ZA approval from 2000. It's saying the operator completed numerous projects for which the operator did not have necessary approvals. Just like the textbook definition of the word do in the dictionary is a picture of Homer Simpson, the textbook def definition of noncompliance is completing numerous projects that you didn't have approval to do in the first place. Remember what the first page said? Zoning administrator finds that they're in substantial compliance. The zoning administrator said, first, these other projects, they didn't happen. And then he said, well, they actually had approvals for all of them. But we had thoroughly documented that they didn't have approvals. And not only that, the oil company itself had submitted a letter to the zoning administrator in June of 2020, 
one year before this ruling, in which the oil company admitted that all of these 25 projects, 24 of them on oil wells, and the 25th, the installation of the microturbines, had been executed without applications to the zoning administrator, despite clear legal requirement and city code. The oil company admitted. So it's not just that we provided the proof in documents. It's not just saying so, but the documents. But the oil company admitted it too. And the zoning administrator was so pressed to just close the case that he refused to look at it. Because if he did, he couldn't have followed Paul Koritz's requests. So when the zoning administrator issued that ruling, Nays filed an appeal. And the first stop is to the West Los Angeles Area Planning Commission. And at the Area Planning Commission meeting, the zoning administrator outdid himself in making the cover-up worse than the crime. He said incredibly false and ridiculous things. And on top of that, the Area Planning Commission, probably in part because they don't really have the expertise to handle this, probably in part because they just wanted the hot potato off of their lap, they, I would say, inadvertently committed more errors and more CEQA violations. And so the next step after that was Nays appealed to city council. And the restriction is that when you appeal to city council, it has to be about the environmental clearance only. It's necessary to exhaust all of these opportunities for administrative appeal before one can even consider taking the matter to court. If you go to court without having exhausted an administrative appeal opportunity, the judge will kick you out instantly. So where the case is now is that there is an appeal, an extremely strong appeal pending at city council. It originally had Michael, a could hearing. You, could you, could, sorry, could you unscreen share if you're, are you done with the, I just want to make. I, I'm going to come back in a. Okay. In a moment to show a couple more slides. Each other, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. So okay. bear, bear, bear with me. Yeah. Um, uh, so it originally had a hearing date on December 7th, and on request of both the appellant, Nays, and the, it's called the applicant, the oil company, the hearing was continued to a date to be determined in the future. And the oil company is asking for a continuance until the end of February or March. It's probably going to take a little bit of time. And that's okay. We don't have a problem with that. So I'm now going to explain the oil spill a little more. And then I'll come back to talk about what you can do and the context for understanding the appeal and how things can change. So the oil spill emanated on the surface of the alleyway north of the drill site on Saturday night, 
December 11th, 2021. And the oil company found out about it just before eight o'clock and within an hour or two had cleanup crews. And on Monday, after I contacted a bunch of regulatory agencies, the LA Fire Department, which contacted the LA County Fire Department, and CalGEM, direct to the supervisor of CalGEM, Otawak Entuk. Inspectors from all three of those agencies were on the site on Monday. And here's what they found out. Early on Sunday morning, the crew that maintains the oil drill site pulled this piece of equipment out of a pipeline. They did it early Sunday morning, which I think indicates they knew it was there. This is a thing that's called a slip blind, and sometimes it's called a paddle blind. Think of it, it's a little bit like a paddle, like a paddle ball racket. It's got this round part, and then it's got a handle here. And it's a device that is manufactured to put in between two sections of pipeline. Oops, uh, show you this slide here. This is from a manufacturer and you can see there's different versions of these slip lines or paddle lines. And here's an illustration of one put in place. This flange is part of a pipeline that goes that way. This flange is part of a pipeline that goes that way. You unbolt it you take out the gasket between the two halves, you drop in the slip line and this nice handle is exposed and you bolt it together. But slip lines are only supposed to be used while you're doing repairs or maintenance. They're for temporary installation to isolate a section of pipeline so that you can work on it without any fluid or gas inside of it. It's not the way that you permanently close off a pipeline. What happened at the West Pico drill site is that approximately 20 years ago, a section of pipeline internal to the drill site was made inactive, permanently inactive. The law says you're supposed to disconnect it and then either remove it entirely or clean it of fluids fill it with an inert substance like concrete and seal both ends. But they didn't do any of that. Instead, they inserted this slip blind and left it there, which is illegal. And the reason why it's illegal is that the fluid in that pipeline has corrosive elements. And this slip blind is not coated with anything to protect it. So over the years, it corroded and it allowed fluid, including petroleum, to pass through into the inactive pipeline, which then corroded and leaked and caused the spill. So first of all, CalGEM sent out an inspector and wrote a report about it. And then the inspector issued, as you can see, a notice of violation on December 14th, addressed to the vice president of the oil company. And you can see it's about the spill. And 
the notice of violation um, referred to several passages of state code, including this one here that says out of service production facilities shall have fluids purged and shall be disconnected from any pipelines and any other in-service equipment. They didn't disconnect it. And pipelines associated with out-of-service tanks and pressure vessels shall be removed or flush-filled with an inert fluid and blinded, which means permanently closed. But they didn't do it. They did this instead. And so this part leaked, and then the pipeline underground leaked. Michael, On December eleventh, Michael, I just want you to fast forward a little bit if you could. Oh yeah, I'm close to the end. Thanks. So on December eleventh, fluid with petroleum started to come up into the alley from a pipeline that's underground, and under the facility over here. If you think about it, if you start to leak a fluid underground, it's not going to start to rise up to the surface until you've saturated the ground and you start to build up pressure that forces the fluid up against the pull of gravity and the absorbency of the soil going down. So the amount of fluid that went into the alleyway was relatively small, but a larger amount went out underground. And CalGEM's notice of violation includes an order that the subsurface spill has to be cleaned up. We're working on making sure that the state agencies that monitor those kinds of cleanups supervise that project. And we're also working on making sure that CalGEM and other state agencies review the past 20 years of pipeline permits, spill prevention plans, and pipeline management plans that never showed the out-of-service pipeline, even though they're legally required to show it, and that also called for the oil company to do regular inspections and keep their equipment in good repair. So remember the handle on the paddle blind? For 20 years, that was sticking out of the pipeline. It should have been a red flag to the operator that something was wrong. It's another violation that for 20 years, they didn't do anything about. So now I'm going to return to what you can do. There's a couple of things that you can do. And the first and the easiest is to send a public comment to city council about NASA's appeal, which is pending, waiting to be heard by city council. And the way to do it is to use the council file system, which is very easy to use. You can find it by Googling council files, it'll be the first result that you get. You hit the first result, you open the screen, and you'll see a search box, and you type in the council file number for NASA's appeal. And then on the right side, 
you'll see a list of cases and the top one will have this case number and it'll be a link. You click that link and then this screen here will open up. And this is what you want to get to. It'll say new on it. The red circle is mine. You click on this right here and it will give you instructions on how to write and upload a public comment. It's really easy. If you want to, you could write it on your word processor and then cut and paste it in, or you could write it and save it as a Word or a PDF document and upload the file. It's really easy to do. The second thing you can do is make sure that you're registered to vote because 2022 is an election year. Nine members of the 15-member city council are running for something. Six of them are running for re-election to city council. Two are running for mayor. And one of them, Mr. Koritz, is running for city controller. Mr. Koritz is term limited out of his council district five seat. There are six candidates running to succeed him as the council member for council district five. And all six of them have issued a joint press release supporting Nays' appeal. And that's on file with city council. The Beverly Press wrote an article about it. Three of the candidates for controller have also issued a joint press release supporting Nays' appeal. So what you can do is vote. The first elections are the primary elections in June 2022, less than six months away. And if you really want to be a powerful citizen, don't wait to vote. Contact the candidates now. You can contact all of them, or you can just contact the ones that you like and tell them that this issue is important to you. Here's a very important lesson in politics. Voters are really important but they're never more important than in the long run up to an election. They're more important then than on election day, because in that long run up, that's when candidates need to find out what voters want and politicians try to get votes by doing what they think their electors want them to do. The people running for these offices may not hold the offices yet, but that doesn't mean that they're powerless and it doesn't mean that their public statements aren't heard by the already sitting members of city council who are going to hear Nays' appeal. If Nays wins its appeal, and I think it will, and we won't have to go to court, then the case will be sent back for environmental review. And then the ZA will have to look at it afresh and hold a public hearing. And the result of it should be a really strong smack in the face to the oil company for all of its violations, a slew of new safety and mitigation measures, including inspection and enforcement. And there should be an order that at least some of the wells at the site have to be plugged. There's a lot that can be accomplished by winning this case. And if you think about it, the fact that all six candidates running for the CD5 seat have endorsed the appeal, that's an indicator 
that we have a lot of force and momentum behind us because we've done our homework at every stage and we don't make things up and we document everything. So with that, I'm going to stop sharing and let everybody's beautiful pictures come back. Thank you. So if I understand, I just want to make a summary statement, then we'll take some questions. If I understand that at the moment, there is no scheduled meeting that one might attend to voice one's opinion. One could put a comment in the way you suggested and or contact candidates for various offices that are germane to this. That's that's correct. And sending the written comment to city council, while it's important to show up when they actually do schedule a, a council committee hearing, yes, the committee members, to tell you the truth, make up their minds before they go into the room. So the public comments that are on file at least a week before there's a hearing are going to probably be more important. Although we also will want people to show up for the hearing and be there because that shows public Great. public interest. Great. Thank you so much. A lot of information there to absorb, which you have summarized for us. Uh, we have some time. Um, if you have a question, you can either electronically raise your hand or physically wave your hand and I will call on you. Matt, you had a question. Unmute. Hey, hi, thanks. Um, I was surprised to hear that this uh, whole operation began in 1965. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Because, because historically, the whole of the West Side was covered with oil fields. And That's how, so the real question for me is, I, I can't imagine that in 1965, Occidental Petroleum could tear down whatever was there and start drilling. So I think there's some, there must be some misunderstanding there. No, they, no, they, there isn't. They re, did they reorganize some existing oil wells or what? Well, so let me give you a real brief, um, a couple, a couple of data points. Um, the most recent one is that in, in, there were no oil wells there at all before 1965. In that part of town, there had previously been no oil wells. I've seen pictures, pictures with hundreds of oil wells. Not at that site. Okay, so let me let me let me explain that to you. So at that site, there was a gas station and a couple of there were a couple of other buildings, and they were demolished to create the site. In the 1960s, there was an oil rush in Los Angeles. So for those of you who, let's say, as children, remember the Beverly Hillbillies, which I think the rabbi referenced before, the Beverly Hillbillies was a television show created in Los Angeles. And supposedly the oil was in God knows where, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, hillbillies. But there was an oil rush in Los Angeles from the late 1950s into the 1970s. The photographs that you're talking about, Matt, are generally from pre-World War II. Mm -hmm. Prior to World War II, um, oil wells were not in drill sites. There were individual derricks for each oil well. And there were oil wells up and down Venice Beach. And um, in earlier times, um, all through the, the Beverly Center area 
um, north of uh, north of Wilshire, north of Sixth, from La Cienega over to Hancock Park. There were hundreds of oil wells, and they were all shut down in the 19 teens to make way for real estate development in the 1920s. The housing stock there dates from the 20s, 20s and 30s. Um, downtown Los Angeles and Echo Park was the site of the first oil boom in the city of Los Angeles that started in the 1890s. And obviously all of those, virtually all of those oil wells are gone and the area is entirely built up. In the 1930s, there was very close to a de facto prohibition, not law, but de facto prohibition against drilling new oil wells in the city because real estate interests had become more powerful than oil interests in the city. And there was big money in real estate. Thanks. And then one, more, one more thing, uh, because I know our time is short. Um, I predict, and you'll probably see this, that uh, you will lose at the city council because they all do what the council person in charge of the issue wants them to do. Ordinarily, yes, this, just, this time is get, different. Get ready for a court case. So this time is different. Everybody should, first of all, we are ready for it to go to court. And we have all of our ducks in a row. And we're represented by a superb land use and environmental law attorney. But here's what, there are three things that are different about city council in this instance. The first is that Paul Kortz is a lame duck and he's been ordered by the city attorney to recuse himself, not just in city council, but not to speak about the case in public. He's made some really serious missteps to get that from the city attorney. The second thing is that it's an election year and nine members, nine out of the 15 members of city council are running for office in 2022. The third thing is that the politics of oil in the city have changed and all members of city council have gone on record as saying, saying that they want to see the oil industry phased out. If they don't support NASA's appeal, they are undercutting millions of dollars that they've appropriated for studies and it gets even more pointed than that. In the zoning administrator's response to Naza's appeal, the zoning administrator normalizes the presence of oil wells next to residences. And that's handing the oil industry a multi-billion dollar gift if the city actually does go through with a phase-out plan. Because the administrative record that would be looked at when the oil industry litigates against the city, would show the city saying, it's normal to have oil wells in your neighborhood. So this time is different. We have a few aces in the hole that ordinarily don't exist when cases go to city council. Thank you. Other questions? Um, I don't think you answered my question, which was, why do you think the city does so little oversight in this area? Is that because of financial interests? Is it because a of a lack of sophistication and competence in the face of a more sophisticated and competent oil industry, which is 
harder to deal with than the billboard industry or 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 what other reason so um these days it's not about financial interest the oil companies work that operate in the city of los angeles now are all small companies that you've never heard of so like you know raise your hand and tell me that i'm wrong if you heard of pacific coast energy company you know before you know tonight or having seen something from from nays or its or its partners you've not heard this is not exxon mobil shell atlantic richfield arco bp right in the 1950s and 60s the companies that started these drill sites those were big companies but they all left the city of los angeles by the early 1990s when they were here that's when the city passed a law creating the position of a petroleum administrator and from 1961 to 1971 there was a full-time professional petroleum administrator in the 19 after that it went part-time and then in the 1990s the city just stopped having a petroleum administrator at all and the reason was that in the 1990s oil prices dropped oil prices go up and they go down and in the 1990s they dropped so low that everybody thought all of the oil drill sites in LA city and LA county were going to close up because it was uneconomic for the counties for the companies to do business and then of course 2001 prices shot up and bigger companies not huge companies but one level up came in and bought the sites and revived production what went on was the city had no expertise the city was concerned about energy independence they wanted the tax base it wasn't about money from the oil companies it was just like any business you know is is good business and then they were afraid city council people city attorneys zoning administrator they were just afraid of getting into a fight with oil companies even small ones because they are scared because they didn't know what they were doing and things kind of progressively got worse and even more neglected than they had been before it's not money a lot of people immediately think oil companies they must be paying everybody off that's not it that's not it so there's one more layer to this members of city council don't know much about this the zoning administrator doesn't know much about this but they think you all know less and that they can tell you anything and that whatever they tell you you'll believe and so that yeah we're going to shut them all down just you know you know Uh, yeah we're going to do this we're going to do that and you know these things don't, they don't happen so to make stuff happen requires knowing the law knowing the technology knowing the science knowing the history of the sites and the operators and it takes being tenacious and learning how permitting systems work how administrative rule making works and basically cornering people There's a nicer way of putting it. It's about changing the menu and making the items on the menu 
look a certain way so that the city council people or the zoning administrator will choose the heart healthy option on the menu. It's making it so that they think it's in their own interest to do the right thing. Given the recent politics of oil in the city, and given that 2022 is an election year, there's a pretty powerful incentive for members of city council to want to be seen on the right side of this. It could hurt them really badly. Or think of it this way. When is the last time that you saw every candidate running against each other for an open seat, an open office, issue a joint press release saying we all agree on this point? That's what all six candidates running for the CD5 seat did. Good. Thank you. Any other last questions? We're at yeah, can, I, can I ask two questions? Now, I, it almost sounded like uh, Koretz didn't want any investigation done, but it sounded like he wanted the whole thing shut down. Did I misunderstand that? And you said that, it went haywire after that. That, that. That's right. And he, but he, so Paul Koretz has been the council member since 2009. In CD5, there are four oil drill sites, which is more than any other council district in the city. There are almost 100 oil wells in CD5, which is the second largest number of oil wells of any council district in the city. There have been four zoning administrator cases about drill sites in Council District 5 since Koritz became council member. None of them have had an environmental review. In all four of them, he's worked to have the case shut as rapidly as possible. In the first two, he and his staff didn't show up for the public hearing at all. And in the second one, he let the oil company speak for him to the zoning administrator. And I only say things if I have a document to back it up, I can send you the zoning administrator's ruling in which the oil company speaks for council member Cart. So on the one hand, he says, I hate the oil industry more than anybody else. I want it all shut down. I want no fossil fuels. And then the drill sites in his district, whereas Matt was saying, city council members typically have an awful lot of power over anything that goes on in their district. He's done absolutely nothing <laughs> to have them monitored, regulated, to find ways to plug some of the wells. And it can be done. One of the two drill sites that I live near in West Adams, my neighbors and I got it closed. We got 15 wells plugged. They don't exist anymore. The drill site doesn't exist anymore. It can be done. Paul oh, Courts has had 12 years and he's not gotten one well plugged. He's not had one environmental review for a drill site in his district. And in every case, he's worked to have the case closed as rapidly as possible. Well, and then he so says, I want all the sites shut down, but they stop me at every turn. What's so difficult is that he's been such an environmental campaigner in so many different areas. But let Correct. me just ask one, one other question. So the immediate result 
of what you want us to do in this review, what would be the immediate result? What, what's the immediate result that you're looking for? Well, what I want shut down or or with that appeal to the council, what will the appeal to the, the right, right, right. So, so it's not what you would do. You, you, you would write a comment to city council. If um, there's no way to shut the drill site entirely until there's a track record in city documents of violations that the city told the operator to fix that the operator didn't fix. And Paul Kortz has been told that repeatedly by the city attorney and the zoning administrator. And again, I have the documents that show that. So what we want is send the case back for environmental review, which is required by state CEQA law. We would, we'll win that in court if we have to. And the CEQA review, the environmental review, really has to precede any decision-making by the ZA. So the ZA would be legally required to reopen the case and reassess the whole thing. And he would be doing that in the near future with Paul Koritz not being the council member, but one of the six candidates, all of whom, six, (laughs) all of whom have endorsed names. The new council member will say, I want you to go to town on this site and do it right. And then they would document every error, every violation, every safety hazard, every corner cut, issue an order to correct it, assign new conditions and new mitigation measures to keep people safer, like inspections, enforcement, 24-7 emissions monitoring. And there's also a strong argument, NACE has requested this, to get some of the wells at the site plugged now. It legally is not possible to get them all plugged right now, but it's very possible to get at least 16 plugged. I could get into details about that, but that's what we're doing. And then the ground would be set that if the oil company continues to engage in violations, the next review could be a nuisance abatement revocation review that could take away their conditional use permit. But you can't do it without the predicate. Terry. Okay. I I just want to add that um, if some of you are not already um, receiving um, the um, uh, community updates that um, that uh, Michael has been brilliantly sending out, um, you want to get on that list because many of these issues are detailed explicitly. Um, with the with the source material. So how do we get on that list? Okay, so um, I'll give you an email address. It should be pretty easy to convey. Um, Michael, w- type it into the chat for everyone, please. Could you? Could, I can do it. Yes, could, absolutely. Could, One second. Can you do it? And somebody else asked me a question. So Pico yeah. Robertson Coalition at gmail.com. Pico Robertson Coalition, no punctuation, one big word, at gmail.com. And Terry will put that up in the chat in a second. Thank you, Terry. I Multitasking, talking, chewing gum, typing, Great. can't do it. Great. Okay. I think I want to call time. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for coming out on a weeknight, but also our panelists, especially, who are clearly 
very devoted to this issue, really involved. All three of you are really um, an inspiration for citizens to get involved in what's going on around us. Um, uh, so I just want to say, uh, Professor Solomon and Rabbi Yona and our own Terry, really, really appreciate your joining us tonight and um, sharing all this background and the story. And I had no, you know, I've read a couple of little articles in the paper. And I had no idea. So, um, Yasher Koach to all of you, and really thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Avi, and thank, thank you, you, everyone. And we will try as a green team to try to put out the word for people to be, you know, kind of subscribing to these things so that they can continue to get involved. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.